0: Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Fortune 500 companies choose InterOptic optical transceivers to minimize the risk of network failures and maximize IT savings. InterOptic's transceivers are 100% guaranteed compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and others and available at a fraction of the cost. Work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com/packet-pushers to find out more.
1: What's been your experience with architecture versus engineering roles? Are those distinct functions in your organization or are they combined? How do the roles interact? Does the architecture team hand down holy designs from their ivory tower with the expectation that the engineering team will implement them? Is the architecture and engineering function more combined where experienced engineers are expected to create an architecture and then help put it in place? And There can be a tension here, where architects too far removed from the hands-on insist on impractical designs. On the other hand, engineers can push back against solid designs because they're difficult to implement due to security complications or unfamiliar protocols. And, And Pat Allen is joining Heavy Networking to chat with me about our experiences with architecture and engineering roles. And we're going to discuss how we've seen the two roles laid out in different organizations that we've worked for and what we think has worked well and maybe not so well pat welcome to heavy networking would you tell the folks who you are and what you do
2: hello yes uh pat allen i am a senior network engineer for a regional uh bank here customers bank in pa where i live and i am basically responsible for the architecture of uh, our network uh over a couple states, uh, a couple data centers, getting into the cloud, things of that nature. So, I am responsible for you know looking at what technology is coming down the pipeline. If it's a good fit for uh, customers, Bank, uh, you know, sort of um, you know the, the the job is never ending as far as it could always be done better, right? So I'm always <laughs> looking under the covers and and seeing yeah. you know what's, what what could be done better, what what you know what's good here, what's bad here, sort of um, you know reconstructing and and laying it out. So that's kind of my, um, my, my day-to-day job. So uh, again, everything route switch, uh, Mm -hmm. security, uh, network security, things of that nature. That's kind of where my bread is buttered.
1: Now you said the state of PA. And for those of you not familiar with us geography, that would be the state of Pennsylvania, which is along the Eastern seaboard kind of, uh, find the top corner, Maine, the state of Maine, and then move your finger down about a third of the way down the Atlantic seaboard there. And you'll find Pennsylvania, yeah, so, that's where Pat hails from. I,
2: I find it odd because people it, that live in Pennsylvania always say "PA," like it's yeah, ne- like yeah. I've never met anyone else. Like, say you're from New York. Oh, yeah, I'm from NY. Like that just doesn't no, sound right.
1: It's because <laughs> Pennsylvania is very long, Pat. That's a very long. It's it a lot of syllables to say.
2: It is. It's very cumbersome for, yeah. <laughs> for folks, even <laughs> that live here. So, yeah, I, I always find that people that live here always say oh, I'm from PA. They always shorten it. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: Now, Pat, you and I met because of the podcast, your podcast, So You Want to Be in IT, which uh, I was a guest on, oh, a few months back now. We're recording this in June 2022. And uh, tell us about that podcast.
2: Yeah, so it's a podcast that uh, came about uh, out of my head, almost like uh, um, we want to be a mentorship but in audio form really. Right. So we, we wanted to mentor some of the younger guys and gals coming in here. uh, And then basically instead of, you know, holding them by their, you know, against their will, um, you know, and saying, listen to me, I've been in this business 20 years. This is what you should do. We basically then uh, put it in audio form and whoever wants to listen can, you know, can listen. So we talk about anything from breaking into the industry to, you know, to, to mid-career to, you know, certs and. To technologies and even stuff like, um, you know, what looks good on a resume and you know, resume roasts and you know, things of that nature. So basically, any helping anybody that's looking into breaking into the uh, industry, whether you're a college graduate or you know, high school, or whatever, or somebody that maybe a mid career change, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, we, we sort of cover it all. So we're but you know, it's it's networking focus because the uh, co-hosts and ideen are network guys, but mm-hmm. we try to open that door a little bit more to other assets of it so security or um you know cybersecurity, uh system engineering all you know the whole the whole gamut of it yeah
1: excellent so if you're new to the it game want to get into it trying to learn more about what's going on so you want to be in it and you the url is an acronym right
2: Yes, it is. Uh, so it's either, so you want to be in it.com uh, or you can go to S Y W B I I It redirects <laughs> there okay. as well. So, Perfect. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of long for some of the social medias and stuff. So our Twitter handles and stuff, it, it's all the acronym because we can't, you know, your, 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 uh, your handle is, you know, confined to I think 16 characters, whatever it is. So we have a longer one yeah. than that. So we had yeah. to, we had to think on the, on the fly.
1: All right, Pat. Well, we're here to talk about network engineering versus architecture and our experiences in those two different roles. Um, I think your title currently, or I don't know about your title, but I mean, the the role you have is that of of a network architect, right?
2: Yes. So uh, my current role now is technically senior network engineer. Uh, I am on a a, it's a contract. So uh, technically, when I come off the contract, uh, I'll be I'll get the official senior network architect uh, title. But yes, Mm -hmm. the day to day jobs, the day to day duty of the job is more architectural role and out of the day to day operations and or fires.
1: Yeah, I kind of graduated in my career, kind of went through, you start out as an administrator and then the title seems to involve the word engineer and then the title involves architect, you know, at some point, they kind of move you up the ladder that way. Basically, that means they dump more crap on your desk and you have more to do. It seems like it's kind of how that rolls, (laughs) how that rolls. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, we should start, Pat, by differentiating what, what we think based on our experience that network engineering work consists of and then what network architecture work consists of Uh, if we can define that between the two of us at least based on what we've done in our working careers what the differences are what the highlights are of each role maybe it helps us go through what engineering as a function and architecture as a function within organizations might look like so let's start with network engineering what do we think network engineering work consists of pat why don't you go first
2: yeah, I think I, ultimately I think it depends on the size and the structure of your organization, right? So typically, larger organizations will have that breakout or the, the distinction between network engineers and network architects just by the mass of sheer work. Uh, obviously, if you're in a larger organization, there's more work to to go around and more things to get done. So, um, but so that that plays a big part in it. Uh, but I believe I, I think the Network engineering roles is, um, you know, it, it's more for the day-to-day uh, operations, right? So, you know, say you have a hundred sites, you know, you're kind of supporting those hundred sites, you know, whether that's internet connectivity, whether that's you know some sort of routing, um, you know, data center functionality, things of that nature. you're in the day-to-day fires, and you're, you know, you're. Uh, I don't mean to sound this negatively, but you're 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 kind of taking. You're taking a page out of your out of the um, the ticket queue, right? You're just kind of working yeah. through a ticket queue and saying, "Hey, Sally and finance can't get to this app, or you know, blah blah." blah. And everybody blames the network first, right? You and I both know that, Ethan. <laughs> we're always the <laughs> bottom <laughs> of the hill. We're like, "Oh yeah, it's got to be a network problem." <laughs> well, you know, so, <laughs> uh, so so I think I think the engineering role has a lot to do with that. Um, and I think the engineering role, again, if you're in a smaller place, you're also required for. The architecture role, but I think the architecture stuff, which is mainly from a project perspective, right? I think that takes a back seat uh, most days to the everyday you know bau or business as usual right working out of that ticket queue Uh, because those people that's more important because those people need to work right so you know the more you fill up with the the everyday tickets and bau the less time you have for the projects and what's coming down the road or hey i gotta do this or hey, i have a new 10 gig uh, circuit sitting there that i'm paying for that's never been in production because i don't have time to get to it
1: Uh, yeah this i tend to split the tiers of network support within an organization between operations, frontline team, ops, uh, the knock. those are the folks that are maybe getting the tickets, they're the first ones to look at the ticket queue, engineering is kind of in the middle where they're the ones that are probably installing the new gear and figuring out what the configurations are supposed to look like and making sure that that's enforced across the world. Uh, And then at the top might be architecture. And again, I'm just describing, you know, roles here, maybe multiple of those roles falls to one person or to one team as if, especially in smaller shops, but, uh, you know, architecture would be, we got up. Problem, we have a new app we need to deliver. What does the network need to look like to support this application effectively? Hey, yeah. we're migrating to cloud and we're going to be moving all of this data up there. What does the network architecture need to look like to facilitate the moving of this application and its many terabytes or petabytes or whatever of data up to cloud to support that? We need to go, we got to get that designed and roll that out. Um, but in smaller shops that I've worked for, it's been where engineering and architecture are pretty often combined. You're given a business problem. You're given a, you know, like I was just describing an app that's got to get moved or whatever the scenario is. And you as the pretty much engineer need to also figure out how that solution is going to work, get it designed and then implement it, put the whole thing in place. And again, in smaller shops, that was very much the case where an engineer and an architecture roles, they, they were the same human, the same person was doing that. And it ended up being more like a tech lead role, I guess would be a, you know, a good way to put it because there weren't enough resources to like have, there was no ivory tower department where the architects would sit upon high with their whiteboards and then hand the, the golden designs down to the to the people below. <laughs> it wasn't that. But in in like I uh you you're working in uh, financial the financial world. I've done that too, and I worked for J.P. Morgan Chase many years ago now. Uh, but they definitely had out of at the time it was New York City an architecture team, and they gave us the you know the holy writ. This is the therefore and the thou shalt, and this is what you're gonna buy, and this is these are the standards <laughs> that we enforce, and therefore you will be compliant and tended to have very little sense of our business unit, which was something Chase had purchased. Uh, We were a credit card processor, and Chase bought us, and they didn't know anything about what we had built over all those years before they bought us. They were just like, hmm, these are our standards, and you shall conform. And uh, the architecture told us in engineering what would be. Uh, Oddly, I was also an architect in that role, so I was like doing network architecture for... Um, the payment card group, uh, along with other people that were on that team, wasn't just me. And there was a security architect group that was you know by parallel, and uh, we'd worked together very closely for all this network stuff, um, both on the security side and then the you know the the transport side, if you will. But they were you know, kind of combined until Chase came in, huge organization with all these people, and then architecture again, stood apart whether it was practical or reasonable to do what they were telling us to do or or not. And sometimes it wasn't, which was super annoying.
2: Yeah. I think, I think there is a, a definite, you know, uh, and I don't know what the golden rule is as far as, okay, you have to have 10,000 employees to have an architecture versus, you know, versus a network engineering department and split them out. I, I don't think that that exists, but, you know, I, I do feel like that has been most of my career has been combined in that aspect of, hey, you're, you're responsible for the day to day. Oh, and by the way, you're responsible for, you know, moving us forward, you know, and that that is, you know. That's behooved of. Okay, if you can get it approved, you can get the money for it. If you can get the right people convinced that you need to move to this technology X, you know that sort of thing. Um, so I feel like there is, you know, it, it's been mostly the the combined work. But most of it, it have, in my career has been, you know, working out of a ticket queue because Sally and finance can't get to some app that they need to push oh, payroll. I'm you know? you
1: said I'm glad you said ticket queue again because yeah, I mean, I <laughs>
2: definitely have always
1: had the ticket queues to deal with as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but they would, would tended to be escalation stuff. So I do work with the frontline folks on the kind of the routine tickets. If it was like uh, some of the environments I supported had hundreds or maybe a few thousand WAN circuits. Okay. If a WAN circuit goes down, these are the things you need to, you don't just automatically punt it to the engineering because We don't have right. the cycles to deal with all these guys. You gotta, right. you know, look at this and know whether you can kick it back to the, uh, the service provider or what's going on, uh, whether it's an internal problem, an external problem or whatever. So I'd go through that kind of stuff, but yeah, there were definitely my share of tickets that belonged with, you know, me or the team that I was on in engineering and we would, we'd work through them. So there was, there was a lot of that and some of it was troubleshooting, but some of it was also provisioning. So-and-so standing up a new cluster, they're asking for this many links, they need this much bandwidth, they want these VLANs and they need access to the cluster across the VPN. Uh, okay, you know, then you sit and you got to provision all of that kind of stuff because they weren't, you know, these are pre-automation days and there wasn't literally like a button you could press just to make all that. I don't know that even today there'd be a button you could press just to make all that (laughs) stuff happen,
2: you know. Like one of those staples easy buttons just here. There you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bang. Well, some of the road stuff you'd think, you know, you could. Well, like I did a lot of load balancing work, a lot of F5 work. That stuff was like, man, super rubber stamp. I had little, uh, was it uh, TM shell scripts that I I had written that would um, you know crank out virtual IPs on the F5 boxes pretty quickly? But it still wasn't you know automation uh, as such. But uh, but some of the more complicated stuff you actually needed an engineer to think it through. There could be implications to the routing design. Maybe you had BGP that was filtering what routes you were announcing, and maybe you'd have to update the route map and you know things that were kind of like things you only did once in a while. They were pretty pretty nuanced. And, uh, so I'd get, you know, not just troubleshooting tickets, but also those sort of provisioning kind of tickets because of it was, it was project support by and large, uh, very often from a virtualization team that was standing up infrastructure to support some new application that the company was going to roll out something like that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think that's the large majority of, of network engineering is, is supporting, you know x y and z ultimately you're there to support the business right they make the money and they pay your you know they pay your salary so you know but at the same time i think i think you're right in the assets of okay look we need this you know we need this app and we need it yesterday so i, I personally i don't think network is brought in soon enough to a lot of these projects because then they're just like oh well what do you need network for like you know these are the app developers that are going to be dealing with this they're the only ones that need to be in the room well, not not really. Like the network has to support that. Like if you require, you know, certain, like you said, a certain amount of bandwidth to whatever, or you know, like we have to be able to design that and have to be able to 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 produce that, especially if that app is making you a lot of money, right? I,
1: so it's got to work right. It got better with virtualization, though, Pat. Don't don't yeah. you think?
2: You know, it, it, yes.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. We, we you'd stand up a virtual, uh, just a server or a cluster or whatever. And once you yeah. plumbed up the VLANs <clears throat> that they need, at most you'd need to be like, assuming you were like manually pruning VLANs, you gotta add that VLAN that was pruned that they need now to the trunk and kind of done. You know, at that point, you uh, you help them create a VLAN tag in the V switch, and other than that, it was super simple as opposed to, oh gosh, I have to stand up another switch port.
2: Right. <laughs> I hate or, this. Yeah. Or,
1: or crap that they want to put it in that rack. And I know the tour is full. I know it is. I'm going to yep. have to, Oh, I don't want to do this today. I've uh, been, to yeah. <laughs> been there. Yeah. Been there. So engineering was, was a lot of that. Our architecture seemed to be by and large part and parcel with almost all the jobs that I had though, Pat, where, Okay. Uh, as the engineer, I did need to understand packet flow end to end. And as just like you were describing, you know, near the top of the show, you're dealing with security. If it moves packets, it sounds like it was yours. You know, you're dealing with security, so firewalls, maybe IDS, IPS. I don't know if that's yep. part of your world too.
2: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, routers and switches, of course, and then, um, you got to be responsible to know how that packet enters the network and makes its way through and, uh, and then goes back out again, which touches a lot of gear and a lot of equipment. And so the architectural mindset comes in understanding that and understanding the scaling of it all. How is this going to grow? How many apps can we support on this thing? How can I minimize the next time I need to make a change, make that change super easy, which to me are all architecture and design kinds of functions, thinking through how, it, how you can lay the foundation within the network infrastructure to support what the business is going to need going forward with a minimum of effort on your part and a minimum of, you know, reconfiguring of stuff to support that new application <laughs> that, uh, that's coming on the wire.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think, and to me, I've always had a technical mind. So I always go for the biggest and the baddest and then the business goes, Whoa, let's pull the reins back here a little <laughs> bit. You know, <laughs> I think So, sorry for anyone that I've ever worked with that as is, is listening to this, you know, it's, I, I always go right to the, you know, the $10,000, you know, Cadillac model versus, you know, <laughs> but, that, but, you know, I, I talked to my my other friends in it all the time. Like technically, I mean, you sort of only have one shot to to do it right, and like if you're gonna deploy it from green, right, you want to make sure you have it as close to best practice as close to the right way and fit the right needs as, as possible, or else you're just kind of putting a bandaid on things and putting it six months down the road to try to redo it again. So, yeah, and, and you it's know, it's not
1: just a budget problem. It, maybe right. it's a budget thing where you get money supplied, but it's also once you put it in place, it's hard to undo and change it.
2: Correct. Once that's in pride, uh, that's like their golden cash cow. You're not taking that down for, you know what I mean? Like you can't re, re, you know redesign it in a way because now Sally from finance used to push button A. Now she's got to push button B, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, you really do have one shot. And I always find it interesting that, you know, and you touched on the budget thing. I find it interesting that there's not enough money to do it right, but there's always enough money to do it twice. You know, that's <laughs>
0: sort of <laughs> So
2: I find that very interesting that, I, that, you know, I've worked at multiple places that, that are that way, you know, and it's like, all right, well, if we were brought into the discussion earlier, we could have had this ironed out and we could have done it closer to best practice or the right way. But because everyone is such in a hurry that, you know, the app devs, they needed it, you know, they needed it two weeks ago. And, you know, you're just hearing about it now. And it's like, all right, well, when do you want it up? Uh what about Friday? And it's like, dude, you know it's Wednesday, right? You know, like, <laughs> so you know, I feel like we're not involved soon, you know, soon enough in the process. But I, you know, I get why. It's just things move at light speed. Um, but I, I do think we need to be involved more, so that way we can do it right and sort of, you know, have a grasp on it. And then, you know, the whole documentation aspect comes into mind, right? You got to document that because if you get hit by a bus, you know what I mean. In two weeks. No one else knows how it's set up or how you set it up. You know that that puts the business in a little bit of trouble moving forward.
1: Well, how do you mean documentation? Because if I'm comparing architecture and engineering, I'm seeing two different, potentially very different, although related document sets.
2: Sure. Now, I mean, from from an architect perspective, you know, like you said, traffic flow. You know, hey, if it comes in. If it comes in via VPN, how does it go? Does it come in via MPLS? Does it take another path? Like, you know, that sort of thing, trying to put those two together or, hey, you know, this app uses 443 and, you know, whatever, you know, that sort of thing. So, I and I tend to find, I don't, yeah, no disrespect to any of the app guys out there. I tend mm-hmm. to find that they don't really understand how their program works from an underbelly perspective. They just... They know they just, you know, they spin this up, the Python script runs, and off they go. And if they can't do that in that order, then they go, well, I don't know. You know, it's like, oh, well, then it's you know, sort of my job to, uh, you know, peel back the onion a bit and and try to get it to go from, you know, A to B and, and truly make it, it work the way it's supposed to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, that's been a similar experience that I've had where a, a lot of the app guys, the developers, um, they would know the best ones would know when it was probably a network issue and they needed to reach out to an infrastructure team to go am i getting filtered by a firewall somewhere maybe right. but the 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 average dev would say uh i, I need firewall support oh okay well what, what ports do you need open and then you get the deer in the headlights look i I don't know you know it's like well you wrote the app do you not how do you not know and then as i've gotten touched on a little bit of the dev stuff myself it's like because they're leaning on some library that does most of that work for them they don't know about sockets and listeners and all of that because they're not writing down at that level that's something that's been abstracted away from by a library they don't care right and you know i've learned um to help them help themselves like okay Let's look at these docs here. This is going to tell us the kind of things we need to know so we can get this thing, you know, working through the firewall being, you know, the classic example uh, of of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, as far as bringing people, bringing the right people together early to deploy a project, I personally have found that to be tied mostly to the management tier. That is whoever's a whoever, you know, my boss is, let's say, they tend to become aware of what projects the business is undertaking before know, the line staff does in the IT group. Yeah. So if that IT manager hears about a project, he or she should have a good sense of, oh, Pat's got to be in on this conversation. Pat, there's a project kickoff meeting in conference room Delta. Would you head on over there at one thirty and just kind of listen in and start to get a sense of what might be required for network and security infrastructure? And then other bosses that are like, uh i didn't think this was going to be a big deal for us but they need this by friday it's wednesday as you were saying earlier yeah <laughs> right, uh, so right. could we <laughs> can we do this on the firewall and this and do we have any of those switches from that one shipment left i know it was supposed to go over to this other place but can we pull it and put it in the rack so they can have it
2: yep oh yeah oh, yep. <laughs> you're borrowing yeah you know, you're borrowing from peter to pay paul i get it yeah, so team
1: managers. If you're out there, you know, don't be shy about including uh, including your people early. I <laughs> I sat through some boring project meetings that my boss sent me to that I was still glad I was there just to kind of know what was coming, and what the timelines were, rather sure. than having it sprung on me at the last minute.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a that that that's a good point. I think that you know whoever is above you, I think bears a lot of the responsibility of how far or I should say how early you know, their team is involved. And if you don't, if you have someone that speaks up, um, then that tends to do better than someone that just, just says, okay, and they're worried about their next meeting. And they, you know, then two weeks from now, they all have a meeting and, you know, you all get in the room and they go, well, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's mm. one of those things. So I feel like, I feel like that it is a manager's position to, you know, advocate for their for their team early on. And then obviously that helps down the road um, further the project and, and, you know, uh, you know smooths out the bumps. Cause there will be bumps just, you know, you just got to see which ones you're willing to deal with and which ones you can overcome.
1: <laughs> so one of the things we've talked about is the business and what the business needs, Pat, now from an architecture perspective, what is your, take on what you as a network architect would need to understand from a business perspective so that you can correctly recommend a design to the business
2: yeah i think i think a good example is i think what's what a lot of people or a lot of businesses are going through now is the is the transformation to the cloud right putting you know with that they're they're on you know they're in a colo right they're in a data center somewhere and they want to move Know their app environment or their dev environment to you know to the cloud, right? So that that's a popular scenario nowadays. And I, yeah, I've been at, at places where um, they're completely in the cloud; they don't have any on-prem anywhere. It's all in Azure, AWS, GCP. You know, pick your flavor. Um, but I think I think that is a, a massive um, shift at the moment going to the cloud. However, however much you want to put in the cloud, that is the decision of of the business, right? Um, I mean, if it was up to us, network nerds, it'd all be in the cloud, right? Hey, give me give me all of it, you know, that kind of thing. But um, that's just not realistic. It just depends on your business model and whatnot. But uh, I think that there's a lot of room for design there as well, you know, in the cloud saying, hey, You know setting up all the virtual devices and making sure they play right and load balancers and you know um uh, ftd's right uh, firepower and asav and palos and you know all those sorts of things and then you have the Mm -hmm. you know elastic ips in the aws world and how those work and it's crazy
1: say i mean you were just describing basically recreating data center infrastructure in the cloud or or do you try to go cloud native whatever cloud native means right and uh and take advantage of the native services that live in the big 3 for to provide your security rather than standing up your palo virtually uh do you do something in the aws world for that security and if you do that the implications for operations and your cost model and all of that stuff change which complicates things so sometimes i think it's easier if you just kind of punt and go yeah, we're going to throw a virtual Palo up there, virtual ASA, whatever it is, and just stand that up because that's the model we're familiar with. And, right. and that's what we're going to do. Stop asking questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm interested to see that in the next couple of years. Like, do they actually, do people actually go virtual and put, you know, try to recreate their on-prem data center in the cloud? Or do they start taking a page out of the the cloud native book, right? So the Azure's of the world, you can get an Azure firewall, you can AWS right. or whatever, you know, and and sort of punting a lot of that day to day operations, and therefore, you know, to a degree, responsibility to that piece of. You know, cloud native, you know, app instead of dealing with Palo and 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 uh, I'll use Cisco as an example. Their licensing is still horrific. After you know, I've been in the Cisco twenty years. Their their licensing and their structure and the smart nets and it's it it's awful. Like, do do you want to deal with that, right? I mm. think that's that's a big you know piece of it too. And uh, I, I'm interested to see how that sort of rolls out. Like as Azure and these cloud providers get a little more long in the tooth, right? Get a little more mature. Can they offer something that's on par with the, uh, with some of the bigger vendors than than just virtualizing it? Right. I, I'm curious to see how that works.
1: Yeah. It well, it's interesting that you 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 bring that up because boy, uh-huh. it, there could be no greater architectural role for someone than to help a business transition from what they've been doing on premises, right. the right. vendors that they've had a long standing relationship with, for better or worse and then taking a look at things and going to public cloud. And earlier you were saying, well, whichever one you're in, AWS, Azure, or GCP, they're in all three, pad. Come on, right. you know, right. so, exactly. <laughs> so it makes yeah. it even worse. And okay, now right. as an architect, you got to recommend not just a cloud, a cloud native strategy for some of the VNFs that you might decide to run, but then also now a multi-cloud strategy, because now right. we're doing some stuff in Azure and some stuff in GCP and some stuff in AWS. And of course, we've still got our on-prem stuff. How do these components interact? Are they isolated workloads where what's in Azure doesn't really need to talk to the other clouds very much? Probably, but there may be some overlap. Maybe authentication maybe is overlapping somehow you're using Azure AD. AD, Uh, What does your network architecture look like there? So all of a sudden, the burden for an architecture recommendation gets heavy because it's not just a rebooting or a rebuilding of concepts you've known about on-prem where it's still VLANs and MPLS tags and whatever it is you've been using for a long time. Now it's all of these new constructs that you need to rethink kind of how it's the same, but it's different. And there's different guardrails in place. What does that look like that? Uh, and, and can you confidently recommend that to the business that that's the right way to go? Because it is, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger gamble as an architect in a way you're, you're, they always look to you. The business always looks to you as the one with the answers. And if Pat says do this by golly, we're going to do that because he knows right. what's up. That's why we're paying him the big bucks. And, uh, right. you know, in cloud, if you don't have the experience of the versus compared to the years or decades you might have on the you know, Cisco,
2: Juniper, Arista, whatever side of the house
1: <sighs> makes me nervous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: No I agree I think I think in the next couple of years I think architects um, from a perspective is going to uh, the cloud's going to explode right and I also think cloud security right securing that data in the cloud uh, specifically public cloud is is going to be a large um a large piece of that as well I, I think you know those are two of the two of the bigger you know, uh, jobs going, if you will, because the, the cloud's only going to get bigger, right? It's not getting smaller. That that's for sure. Um, so, I think uh, securing the cloud, and then obviously architecting or playing in that in that cloud mindset uh, with all of the native versus, you know, um, you know, I want to say legacy vendors, but you know, regular you know vendors that you've been like you said, like you've been working with, and you have these relationships with. Uh, I think getting all of that sort of to play nice and to to play uh, well together, I think, is going to be a, a challenge as well. Um, cause yeah, as you know, right. We, we talked about this on, on, on my show a couple, a couple months back, like all these, all these vendors now they have their own silos and they want to keep you in their silos. So it's, it's hard mm. to kind of, Break those concrete walls and get in a, you know, getting get arrested <laughs> to talk to a Juniper to talk to a Cisco and all this other kind of crazy stuff. So you know, as you start to sort of build in your silo, right? Whether you're a heavy Cisco shop or whatever, and you're doing, you know, obviously you're doing route switch and you're doing, you know, SD WAN or you're doing, you know, DNA Center and all that stuff that Cisco offers, it's harder to get the other players to come into that single pane of glass or single fabric, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then obviously throwing a cloud layer on top of that is even Harder. So I think that's going to be a massive challenge in the next couple of years. And, you know, guys like you and I architect wise to say, Hey, you know, what's the best uh, decision here for the business and try to keep a level head on it and not, you know, not have, you know, not play a favorite, if you will. Right. You know, cause I think that is a large part of it too. Like, Oh yeah, I've been used to Cisco for a billion years. So I'm going to throw everything Cisco in here. And it's like, well, you're going to, that is obviously that's the Cadillac, you're going to be costing the business money. Is there a better product out there for, for cheaper? But your sort of internal bias, you know, has you go and lean towards Cisco because that's what you've used and you know, that's what you're comfortable with.
0: We interrupt this podcast for a brief word from Packet Pusher sponsor Interoptic. Interoptic has been the trusted optical transceiver supplier for many federal, state, and local government networks and Fortune 500 companies. They provide friendly, US-based OEM agnostic networking expertise to help you choose the best optics and fiber to future-proof your networks at the lowest cost. Why continue to pay OEM prices for optics? Talk to the experts who will deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. Interoptic can help you and your team create a more nimble physical layer. Their optical transceivers are guaranteed 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. Interoptic physically tests every single transceiver before it's shipped, and their transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the same manufacturing lines. That means you can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and designed by engineers who truly understand the specifications critical to your network at a fraction of OEM costs. It's time to take control of your optics purchases with InterOptic. Find out how at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now back to the conversation.
1: You mentioned the Issue of multi vendor uh, as well, which you had me reflecting. There was a network I supported uh, some years ago that was a mix of Cisco, Arista, and Juniper for all the core gear. So it was like in the core, we had some Juniper MXs. And on the WAN, we had a lot of Cisco routers, um, smaller Cisco WAN edge style routers. And then for security, we had some Juniper stuff. And then for some core switches, we had some Arista boxes. And it was mostly fine. Once you got your head around the different command line environments that you were working with, it was, it was fine. You know, CLI, CLI, you just kind of get your head around which, where am I? Oh, I'm configuring the Juniper SRX today. Got it. Okay. Um, you know, sets and commits and you know, whatever the Junos, uh, syntax is and off you go. But weird things would come up like, some kind of strange OSPF issue where a Cisco this was an ASA firewall and the Arista core which would lose OSPF adjacency periodically why because gremlins who knows it was like some obscure error <laughs> message that i could find nothing on oh, from wow. anybody explaining why the OSPF adjacency would fall over and not come back unless i rebooted the ASA uh. i kid you not oh god it's, and so when you have experiences like that, from an architecture perspective, you look at that stuff and go, "Man, we gotta we gotta single vendor this thing." Because between the operational challenges of working at the different environments every time you touch a box, and just quirky code bugs where OSPF doesn't say stay stood up because magic reasons, sure, you know, you you just put you in a weird spot. All right now compound that with you know the modern world of white box even more switch stacks that are are, uh protocol stacks that are out there to work with whatever the heck the big three are throwing at you uh and there is no such thing as a a single vendor anymore uh you know another throw a a side comment in here it kind of came up on a twitter thread recent twitter thread recently pat i don't know if you were a part of this or not but some people that are really upset with Cisco because of what you alluded to earlier, licensing challenges among Ugh. other things, you know, support issues and stuff like that. Which again, going back to uh, as an architect, what what's the safe bet? It used to be, you never got fired for buying Cisco, right? Even if it was expensive, there was yep. you could justify that to the business. Yeah, you're gonna pay pay more, but. It's, the, right. it's pretty much, more or less, it's the best box there is or, right. you know, it's it's a good box for the solution and the support is very good or uh, you know, And whatever. the uptime's 10 years, right?
2: <laughs> and Yeah, <laughs>
1: and, and, and it's going to stand up forever. And you can't yep. make those sorts of claims anymore. Uh, so it comes down to comfort level. And it feels really like you're trading in some of the frustration with uh, Cisco or whoever your vendor is that you might be frustrated with and potentially trading those frustrations in for something else. So it's another roll of the dice that... Um, Again, we're we're still talking architecture versus engineering. I don't want this to devolve into just whining about vendors, but, <laughs> but as an for it. these I'm are the kind of it. things you got to think about. What do I recommend yeah. to the business? What what is it that's going to be best for this company that's trying to deliver this product for their customer right.
2: base? Right. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you have the same sort of experience as I do, but you know. Uh, <laughs> In, in certain aspects or in certain circles, again, depending on company size and structure, you know, you may be invited to some of those, you know, top level, I don't say top level, but you know, mid-level meetings to say, okay, look, you know, like a couple of years ago when SD WAN was sort of making you know waves in the circles, like, you know, how do you have those conversations? Do you get in a room with, you know, your your CIO or whoever and go, yeah, you know, I think we should take a flyer on this SD WAN and here's my reasonings and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, some some places you have that freedom to to step in there and I want your opinion. Other, you know, other places it's like, okay, well, how much is it going to cost? And you know, blah, 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 blah. Like it really depends on really depends on Fit it really depends on how much the business is really um, wanting to sink into the IT budget, right? Because everything everything is so budget, you know, conscious nowadays and trying to get away with as much for as little. I get it. Um, you know, but there's also you know you also sort of have to realize, okay, you know, what is coming down the down the pike that we could utilize that makes the, you know, makes our transactions uh 10 times faster, you know, whatever it is, and you know, things of that nature. So, you know, some places I've been, I've been a part of those you know, meetings to, to throw my two cents. Now they weren't always taken, right. You know, just mm-hmm. at least you had the, you had the floor, right. And you had ears listening for however long your, your spiel was. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, they went back and crunched numbers and say, okay, look, you know, this isn't right for us right this second. doesn't mean we're never going to do it. It's just right this second where we are in the budget cycle, yada, yada, it's just not a fit, you know, maybe revisit next year, blah, blah, blah. And then others just look at you know the the strict price tag and go ah yeah no that's not for us it's like we you don't even know what it like you, you don't know the, the pluses. All you're looking at is the minus, which is cost in most, in most places. And you're just, you're flat out saying no, but you're not understanding what it could possibly do for you in the five, you know, five year run, 10 year run, whatever, whatever that is.
1: You are hitting on another, I think key architectural role, which is you need to understand the business well enough to be able to do a reasonable job of cost benefit analysis. If okay, yep. We're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on this, I don't know firewall cluster that does magic things and magic things means and then whatever you have to delineate bullet points and then somehow equate that to to money so that they understand if these dollars are spent that is going to save us money or it's going to give us the ability to earn more money or it's going to be well, well, like if we were an application uh, developer, we could say things like, we are going to reduce shopping cart abandonment by 38%. And based on our you know historical buying patterns from our customers, that means we're going to earn X amount of dollars. It's harder to do that with infrastructure because it's a platform. It's not the thing are right. doing the thing. It's the thing that the thing that makes the money is sitting on top of. And so it's, right. a, it's a bit harder to quantify that. And so getting your head around what the business does how the business actually makes its money and then going, okay, how do I translate this into business language, into something that the business managers can make a financial decision around versus it's more secure, we should buy it, or it's faster, we should buy it. You know, because that's, that's that's, we nerds, man, that's how we think, it's it's faster, it's more secure, it's it's the right thing to do, of course. Part of the reference architecture. Why wouldn't we do that? Businesses don't care about any of that stuff.
2: No. No, it's funny. I'm going to have a come to Jesus moment right here on this podcast. So listen, (laughs) here we go. I was exactly that nerd that you just described 30 seconds ago. We should do it because reasons. Like I I struggled for the longest time Mm. putting my thoughts and reasons and justifications into business Terms and people, you know, reasons that the business could understand, right? Because Ethan, you you and I go to the CIO and say, "Look, I need half a million dollars for SD WAN for our hundred offices or whatever it is." There is, you know, without sort of any sort of justification that they can understand outside of the, well, it simplifies this, this you know, simplifies our VPN. It simplifies this, and you get QoS, like. All of that stuff doesn't mean anything to a, to a, to a CEO, right? That's all just jargon, right? They, that's why they pay you to understand that stuff, but then they also pay you to put it into layman's terms as far as, okay, how is it going to benefit the business in X, Y, Z way? Like I had the biggest time um, quantifying, or I should say articulating the reasons that the business should do X because of why? You know, that sort of thing. So, like, I was like, you know, I'm like, well, Cisco says this and you have to do this and you have to take this product and this product because it, it quantifies this and ASA mm. and FTD and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, you get packet inspection. Like, you go, you, you go tell a CEO that you now have packet inspection, <laughs> they're going to throw you out of your room. They're going <laughs> to throw you know, out, out of their room. You're like they don't, they don't care. Like, so no. I, you know, that is, I, I had the hardest time and I used to get so frustrated because then when they come back and say, no, I'm like, this place is terrible. I can't, you know, this is one, <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, Oh, just, but now like sort of, you know, longer in the tooth in this industry, you, you, on, you have to understand how to talk to C-level folks or even just managers above you. Cause I've had managers above me that don't understand what I do on a day to day basis. So it's hard for them to, you know, it, it was hard for them to talk to me from a, on a technical level, because they just don't understand what I, what I did. So, you know, but you have to, you have to put it into their terms or else they're, you're just going to, you're just going to be another meeting on their book on their, on their calendar. And, you know, it, you know, it's, you know, all that time and effort you put into that it, it's, you know, it's not going to stick with them.
1: One of the things that helped me with all of this is just managing my own uh, small business. I co-own yeah. a business right now that I operate um a pack of pushers, you know that th- this one that you people are listening to out there it's a it's That's a it. business
2: and stuff we talk about the stuff and the we, things <laughs>
1: <laughs> and one of my jobs is to manage cash flow and so i have a spreadsheet that i look at month to month who's paying their bills who's late what are we projecting over the next quarter because there's people that need to get paid you know we have contractors and employees and I'd like to get paid once in a while too, that'd be great. <laughs> and so you end up having to think when you begin thinking in those terms where it's about money and cash flow and time periods and taxes are coming up at the end of the year and you know and so on that puts every expense request that comes through on an equal footing. So, you know, if we were a big company, I said, we're not, we're a little company, but if we were a big company, I suppose we'd have a marketing department coming hat in hand to the CEO going, I'd love to launch this new campaign. We need X dollars to do all the things. And then IT shows up and the accounting people need an upgrade and, 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 and. And so the CEO is just looking at all of these expenses across the company against whatever their cash flow projection forecast is and wondering whether or not the sales organization is going to land that big account that would man that had really just set us good but until we know it's there and the contract the ink is dry in that contract i can't approve pat's request just because it's the right thing to do and it makes the vpn better and we get packet inspection whatever that means pat right you, you know I right. can't do it Uh can't do it uh and it's not ill-intentioned it's not ignorant it's they have different pressures and different decision points that drive what they are doing on a day-to-day basis and just because you show up trying to do the right thing doesn't mean they it doesn't even factor in for them necessarily unless you can give them one heck of a good business reason why they should be thinking about it
2: yep i agree so i think that comes into play as far as from the architect perspective you know, if you're when you're designing the new thing, or you're looking at that new, um, you know, uh, that new technology. And I'll take an example. Right, the new the new buzzword out there now is zero trust, or hmm. Sassy, or you know, any of those kind mm-hmm. of uh, buzzwordy things. And it's like, oh well, should we take a flyer on it? How do you do that? Like, you you almost have to. And when you're you know, and say you finally do get the. The approval for, you know, zero trust, you know, whatever that means. Right. Say, okay, look, now I got a, now I got a pile of zero trust docs. I got to make my way through and have it make sense and fit our environment. Like how big, how big, or, you know, I just say big, right. You're not going to, you're not going to go small. How big do you make it without, you know, going overboard and the CEO or CIO going, oh my God, this is overkill. Like, hmm. you, like you have to find that balance of, okay, you have 10 offices now, okay, you know, what does the roadmap look like? Are we buying businesses in the next mm. uh, five years? Are we going to blow to a hundred offices or are we going to go to 20? Like you, there's this weird balance of you have to scale for the right amount of things or else you're just throwing money that you just were on your knees in, in the CEO's office 10 minutes ago, pleading for right <laughs> now. You're just going to blow it because you way overshot it. So I think that's a challenge as well too. And and the nerd in me says, Oh my God, go for the Cadillac, right? Go for the 300 offices and blow right past the hundred offices. And it's like, dude, you're, we, we support 10 offices now. What do you mean? 300, you know, that kind of thing. But like the businessman in me says, okay, like you got to scale it back, come down to earth a little bit and, you know, try to size it for the right for, for, you know, it, it's this weird. You have to size for the future, but size for right now. And I've always sort of struggled with what that actually means or what that looks like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, it often came down to budget cycles uh, and budget, especially when budgets were attached to projects. Hey, we just got budget because you mentioned acquisitions. We are about to acquire a company. Shh, don't tell nobody this is happening. Uh, Okay. (laughs) A lot of money getting thrown at this. So when we do this, going to make sure you upgrade the head end routers and we're going to do this. We're going to do these six other things because we got the money for it and we're just going to go for it. We got this like window to do these infrastructure improvements (laughs) all driven by this coming acquisition that you don't know about. Right? Yes, sir. I do not know about that. You're (laughs) correct. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) So, okay, original premise of this conversation, Pat, was engineering versus architecture. Now, I think a lot of what we've gone into are what I think are ultimately architecture roles that very often an engineer ends up fulfilling because there isn't a dedicated architecture team. so right. so here's a question we can we can think through as we wind this discussion up. Have you worked for a shop where there was a dedicated architecture team? They weren't hands-on at the CLI doing what we would consider engineering work, but they were truly architecture-focused, and that's all they did.
2: The closest one I could say is probably the one the role I'm in now, right? So technically, you know, um, the, there is a team of uh, me and a couple other guys, and uh, the, the team has recently been, been split. Uh, before I came on, it was split and then uh, the, the role for the uh, architecture, if you will, sort of opened up because of, you know, said split. Um, so uh, I, my day-to-day is very architecture heavy as far as, okay, look, there's projects here, you know, um, uh, SD-WAN, cloud, um, you, know, whatever else, you know, whatever flyer you want to take, there's project there. And so, you know, the architecture in this particular role is driving those projects forward you know and then ultimately to to completion um i you know i still am you know a little bit in the weeds of of you know getting this stuff spun up uh for example i was working on WAN today so you know trying to get that rolling and uh controllers and edges and all kinds of crazy stuff SD was- that's
1: that's new to you from an engineering perspective
2: uh no well this brand of SD WAN yeah, yeah uh, I've yeah. worked with previous uh, SD WAN vendors uh, VeloCloud Palo Alto uh, they use uh, they use Viptela uh, here mm-hmm. so uh, this is my first go around with with Viptela which is Cisco's brand so um, you know trying to trying to you know dust that off and whatnot so I'm still in the weeds in that aspect but I'm not in the weeds of okay you know Sally in finance needs a Jabber phone provisioned. You know, that sort of thing I, i'm out right. of those type of type of deals no, so i'm okay. very so you, you're, you're project driven
1: very, very project oriented yeah
2: almost. at the moment yeah very project driven uh trying to get some things over the finish line and. um you know, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, the, the guys that are on my team, uh, or I should say on the other side of my team, uh, technically we're two different teams, but we're all one networking team. Uh, just our roles are are, are different. Uh, they do a great job at their stuff, um, you know, rack and stack and, you know, uh, configuring routers and things like all that, I'm, I'm out of all of that. It, 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 that's on their side of the house. And I'm Which just they looking. Could pull
1: you in, I suppose, if there they were like, hey, packet can we get you to take a look at this and tell us what you think about, whatever the yeah. thing
2: is. <laughs> correct yeah so i'm i'm there for you know I don't want to say last resort, uh, I, you know, they can come to me about anything, but they, they, they do their job very well. And shout out to those guys if they, they listen to this. So know, uh, yeah, they know what they're doing. And, and uh, I'm very project driven at the moment, trying to get things over the finish line and uh, there for a second pair of eyes or a third pair of eyes, depending, you know, if somebody comes to the comes to the door knocking. So it's, it's been, it's been good. And, and I've uh, you know, like I said, uh, I'm sure there, there's more coming. It's just, i I have two projects that right now that are really sort of, um, you know, I don't say holding up the business, but they've been hanging around a long time. So they're trying to get it over the finish line and and then I'll be working on uh, some other things but there's always something to do, right? So, you know, the the other guy in my team works on the the firewall stuff, right? So security and uh, VPNs and port openings and FTD and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sort of backing him up, but I have my own, I'm more on the route switch side trying to, you know, get some of these projects done and I have some cloud experience. So I'm, I'm stepping into that role as well from a cloud you know, architecture, if you will, uh, if that makes any sense. So yeah. trying to spin that up and and whatnot. So there's a lot going on. And it, this is my first real role that I'm not like jamming through a ticket queue, you know, sort of thing, which is refreshing.
1: How has it changed your thinking process as you look at the network from a project perspective? Not You're not reacting to things. You're actually planning for the future, so to speak.
2: Yep. Yeah, I, I feel like, and I'll be honest, like I I don't, I'm not the most organized guy in the world, um, but I am working on that. I'm, I'm getting better at it, right? From, you know, organizing, okay, what's a priority today versus what can wait till, you know, Monday or Tuesday of next week, or, you know, that sort of thing. And and I think I'm, uh, it's, it's, I'm more in tune for what, my management is asking for, uh, depending on you know what they're looking for. So um, I feel like uh, you know trying to get a little more organized, a little more uh, structured in that manner. Uh, and then from the you know from the network side, or from from the yeah from the network side of things, saying okay, look, it gives me time to look through visios, and it gives me time to look through you know uh, route you know I you know routers and IP, you know route tables and that sort of thing. Okay, look, you have a routing problem here because this, or you know, hey, now we have. You know, we have three or four different interior routing protocols. Can we go down to one? Like, can can you consolidate? You know, that sort of thing. So no, no. before four
1: or five, that's yeah. what you want to do <laughs> right
2: because <laughs> the packets go faster the more <laughs> protocols you have. <laughs> so you know, it gives me time to look at those things. But you know, compared to before where the ticket queue just never stopped. There was always a problem and you never quite got to that. So then you eventually, I'm personally, I eventually burn out if you're just working mm. through a ticket queue and there's no end in sight, there's no, there's no organization. There's no end in sight. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. You eventually burn out and go, all right, somewhere else has got to be a little more or less stressful than this. And I'm going to try to take that, <laughs> take that road if it's given to me sort of thing. So I think, um, you know, sort of stepping back from a top of the tree perspective, if you will, not having that, everyday reactionary you know stuff and things going on has helped um sort of round me out as far as okay i can pay more attention to what or what format the business needs this stuff in or what am i trying to accomplish this year with the budget i have and how do i have to present that to the uppers to get them to say okay sign off sort of thing cuz if it if if you have a role that are combined like that engineering and Architecture. The architecture almost always takes a back seat because the day-to-day fires need to be fixed.
1: Now I know you're still new in the role, but do you feel at this point more like uh, you're seeing a big picture and a, like a long-term plan for the network and for the business?
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah, I do. I feel like uh, I feel like there is a uh, a big picture here um, from a you know okay. You know, you have a colo now, you know, you're looking to cloud or you're looking to, you know, you look, like you said, Ethan? are you looking to multi-cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Are you looking to be in two of the three or oh, maybe all three? they're looking multi-cloud, they <laughs> just are. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And then you got to design it and, you know, say, okay, look, okay, now you're in multi-cloud. Now are you going to be in multi-region within those multi-clouds? So that's even more of a larger picture you're, you're zooming blood, out. The cloud, <laughs> yeah. the cloud doesn't go down or anything. So <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, now you're looking now you're really zooming out fifty thousand foot and being mm-hmm. like, okay, look, you know, all right, this has got to work in this region and this provider. But then if this doesn't work, then it's got to fail over to this region and this provider, or you know, within the same provider into different regions and et cetera, et cetera. So I think um yeah, I think I think it's been good. Like I said, you know, like you said, I'm I'm new to it. Um I think this is like the third week (laughs) that Hmm. I'm in this role. So still getting to learn people's names and who they are and that sort of thing. But I, you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot more reading um, this time around and uh, getting familiarized with the, with the role and, and uh, what we have and where we're sort of, you know, driving towards and uh, DR and all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) Oh
1: man, so many more conversations that we can have about uh, these, you know, great. architecture level things. I love it. Um, and it, it sounds your role that you're describing now reminds me very much of several roles that I had, where it was a lot of architecture, big picture thinking, planning for the future, building on a, a foundation that you could build other things on top of without having to rip out the foundation once every right. three years. You could right. just kind of move ahead, and it would be solid. You could build on that and, and go forth, architecting, designing out the things that oh. were holding you back or making uh change windows overly complicated let's say you know fixing those things so that things would be less risky and more liable to succeed and you know and all that sort of stuff but it was a hybrid role it wasn't purely architecture ivory tower hand down the golden tablets it was you know architecture and design and you know whiteboarding and talking to vendors and doing research and doing some testing and labbing and planning and proof of concept and then like yeah okay this is good And uh, also having done in all that testing the engineering work to know and this is how it's going to work in our environment and then working with other people in the team that might be doing more of the more of the day to day hands on and saying this is what we have built. This is how it works and this is what we're going to be doing going forward when we need a new remote office setup we're going to be doing the SD-WAN version now and not the old call Verizon and have a circuit installed method that we used to use. Instead, we're going to do this other thing and then layer SD-WAN over the top. You know, whatever it is, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was, it was a hybrid role, it seems to be, for me, except for, like we were saying near the top of the show, except for the largest organizations, the, again, that hybrid of uh, of architecture and engineering kind of coming into one person or one group of people, you know, on a, on a team, doing oftentimes high-end technical leadership within the organization. Pat, again, great conversation. Would you let people know how they can follow you on the internet? Uh, I know you mentioned your podcast, so you want to be in IT at the top of the show. Anything like that that you want to mention for folks?
2: Yeah, you can find me. um, So you want to be in it.com. It's got all of our stuff there. You want to come and listen and subscribe and do your thing, or you can listen to the episodes right from there. Uh, We have the embedded player and it's transcripts and all that kind of stuff. So just go there. You'll you'll find us. Our Twitter is on there. Facebook's on there. Uh, Personally, I'm at uh, on Twitter uh, at layer eight packet, the number eight. Um, So that's uh, a, a, I'm trying to get more active on Twitter uh, as far as a, kind of what I'm doing in tech and a little bit of uh you know, life and a uh, balance of life in tech and things of that nature. So layer eight packet uh, on there, but now the, the bread and butter that I'm doing is the, uh, is the podcast. So you, so you want to be in it.com. We're on a bit of a break right now. I just had my second child uh, maybe two months ago. She's actually two months old next week, the week oh from today. So uh, yeah. So trying to figure out life as a family of four and trying to chase a three-year-old around and then a two month <laughs> old around. So it's. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. So we're on a break at the moment, but uh, go and listen. We'll, we'll we have some stuff coming up uh, real shortly here. We're trying to get back on the back on the horse to get some new uh, some new episodes out there, have a whole bunch of guests lined up. So, uh, yeah, so go, go there, hang out and come follow us on Twitter and uh, do the thing. And we, we love interacting and, and hanging out. So.
1: Top tip, uh, don't expect the three year old to change diapers. It won't work out at all if you don't. Just doesn't,
2: doesn't work. I'm still changing hers. The heck?
1: <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at EC Banks, where I've become a lot more active lately. And you can find on Twitter my Humans in IT and IT podcast list that you might like to follow, along with my IT education tweet collection. And my DMs are open if you'd like to chat with me about anything. My thanks to pat for taking time out of his schedule to join heavy networking today thanks to you for listening to the episode you awesome human i hope you got something out of it but maybe just maybe you want even more and in that case visit packetpushers.net for all of our 100 percent free and privacy respecting resources available to you for your professional career development we got a lot of stuff up there folks there is a slack group white papers industry news and analysis articles technical blog articles our weekly newsletter which we call human infrastructure magazine we have a YouTube channel with short tech clips and long-form nerdy presentations and, of course, the entire podcast lineup. If you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean entire podcast lineup, Banks? Yeah, there's a whole lineup. It keeps growing and changing because we're a podcast network at this point. Our latest shows include Heavy Strategy with Greg Farrell and Jonathan Johnson. Great show for you architects that are out there. And we also have a brand new show, Kubernetes Unpacked, with Michael Levan. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Packet Pushers to keep up with everything that we are making for you. And last but not least, remember
0: that too much networking would never be enough.